Hey, you're listening to an Upbeat Rewind featuring Josh Perry on March 9th, 2020. In this episode, I talk with Josh Perry, a former professional BMX athlete, multiple brain tumor survivor, motivational speaker, and holistic health coach and keto expert. We discuss finding your passion, overcoming fear, and how keto can actually help you unlock your true potential. You're listening to an Upbeat Rewind featuring Josh Perry. This is Upbeat with beatboxer, musician, speaker, and show host, Parker K. Josh, thank you for joining me on Upbeat today. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, Parker. Man, it's uh, it's always a, uh, an honor to share you know, what I've been through, what I've learned, taken away, and um, the goal is to help change some perspectives and improve some lives. So, and the opportunity is always greatly appreciated. Thank you. Of course. And I'd love to uh, kick off this interview just by learning more about you and introducing you maybe a bit more in depth to those listening. So could you just briefly share with us a little bit more about you, how you were raised, what some of your dreams have been? Like who is Josh Perry? Yeah, for sure. So I guess the the long story short version to sum all that up, uh, originally born and raised Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And fell in love with sports at a young age and grew up playing t-ball to little league and basketball um, got introduced to action sports through skateboarding and rollerblading at a young age and then when i was 13 i got a bmx bike for christmas after taking like toys r us bikes on ramps and it not really working out too well so that was a huge shift for me and when i got into my sophomore year of high school that's when bmx took over and I stopped playing school sports and I was just all in on BMX and I stopped, I stopped skateboarding and all that good stuff. But uh, going into my high school, I was uh, enrolled into a technical high school because I wanted to learn a trade. Uh, Cape Cod's really big on trades, um, whether it's landscaping or plumbing or welding or electrical, or you go to school and you work in the medical field or, you know, I had some friends that went off and did other things, of course. But I, I was like, man, like I'd already been landscaping for a friend of the family and I wanted to learn more. I was making good money and I was using that to travel. And then I learned that this co-op program in the technical high school allowed me to go to work for two weeks, go to school for two weeks. And I was like, man, this would be cool to like own my own business one day. I really enjoy working my hands and being outside and taking something and making it, like improving it. And I came into my junior year and I'm now in this co-op program every two weeks working and then back and forth to school for two weeks you know, on and off mm-hmm. and using the money I was making to travel. And now I was going to a lot more contests and I was doing well. And I entered the professional ranks of competition my junior year. And then an ultimatum came from my boss one day that really changed the whole course of my life. And, you know, as proud of, of me as he was, and as supportive as he was, especially with allowing me to take off a lot of days to travel and compete. You know, I got to a point where it was the contest season was in the busiest landscape season, the spring and the summer and the fall. And, uh, you know, I was one of the main guys, you know, I was six, I was 15 when I started working with him and I was 17 driving my own 16 foot trailers with mowers and the truck and all that doing all the accounts. And, you know, this ultimatum, like I had to pick between BMX, you know, my dream uh, and working for him. And at the age, you know, I was like, I knew, you know, I was smart enough to know I won't have this opportunity to pursue this career later into my 30s or 40s. But now, you know, I might as well take a risk on it now because I can always go to school later on. I can always work later on, you know. Um, And so I had an opportunity to go train with Dave Mira and the other professionals down in Greenville, North Carolina, 14 hours south. Of Massachusetts, so I told my boss, you know, I'm, I'm, I appreciate it, but I gotta go. I gotta take a risk on this and go after it. Uh, I knew if I wanted to be one of the best, I had to be where the best were, training every day on the best ramps and the best facilities. And so, that's really what you know changed the course of my life to the life I live today. And you know, along the way, there's a lot of ups and downs, a lot of challenges, a lot of roadblocks and obstacles, and. Um, three brain tumor diagnosis, a blown out knee, um, you know, Dave Mira himself, you know, being diagnosed with CTE after he took his life, uh, my younger brother, two years later, you know, taking his life and um, friends and family, you know, all these different, different things have really molded who I am um, and challenged me to be a better version. And along that route, I found a ketogenic diet and lifestyle um, that actually is what I've been living uh, for a couple of years now to prevent any kind of surgery or treatment or medications for the third uh, time around with the brain tumor diagnosis. And so um, that, that, I guess that's like a good overview of um, some of the 
the highlighted bullets, if you will, of <laughs> my life and what's led us to, you know, talking today. Yeah, well, thank you for that uh, quick summary. We we appreciate it. Um, I'd love to, you know, tackle more in depth like your story and your passion for BMX biking. That's really, really freaking cool. Honestly, I don't think I've ever personally talked with another BMX biker. So this is a first. But you started fairly long, like, or young, like 14 years old, right? Yeah, I, I mean... I, I was 13 when I got my first real BMX bike, but about two years prior to that, I had been taking like, you know, rinky dink Toys R Us bikes to the skate park here and there and, you know, breaking them as I was trying to learn tricks. And so, um, yeah, I was about 13 when I actually got a bike that was made for the ramps and doing tricks. And what, so it seems like you were like always kind of drawn to that. What was it about that that just constantly lured you in? I think um, it was a few different things. So I've been playing school sports, like team sports, since I can remember playing t-ball. You know, and it's always, you know, the outcome is always, I'd say, determined by the team as a whole. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like showing up the best I could and doing a good job and then not reflecting the results at the end of the day, as well as having a coach tell me what I did right or wrong when I know based on the outcome of my effort, what the, if the ball went in the hoop or it didn't, I, I knew what happened. Um, but then there was also the sense of freedom from action sports being an individual sport, doing it on your own. There was no coaching at the time. Uh, there was no teams. It was, it was really all based around whatever you wanted to get out of that effort and that sport. And also whatever you put into in terms of, you know, your time and your effort and your practice and things like that. So there was all these different elements. And then also there was this element of creativity. You know, I could do, I could express myself how I want. If I had a bad day, you know, I would just go ride my bike and I would ride my bike as transportation to my friend's house. Um, I would also ride my bike on the ramps, you know, and I would, you know, watch videos and look at magazines and I would, you know, reenact them and try to, and I would learn and it the sense of trying something over and over again and then the, the, the feeling of gratification of like succeeding when you finally get that trick and then that becomes another trick in your arsenal that you can do on command eventually. There was something about that that stood out more than just, especially with the pain that went into it and how, <laughs> yeah. how much you know, pain and effort it takes to land a trick. And um, there was just something that stood out to me at a young age compared to school sports and team sports and things like that. And I think it was all these different elements that just really kept me driven to it. And then I think the piece that stands out the most is just like that individual, I can go, like, I can go and do this whenever I want on my own terms. And I, can, I use it a lot as an escape. I, um, my, my parents separated at a young age and my brother uh, was, we were like three and a half years apart, but his dad came into my life at a young age and, um, you know, very manipulative and abusive person. And, um, it was like, you know, for lack of better words, a negative rough childhood with him in the picture. And so my bike was always my escape and it just, it gave me this sense of freedom on so many levels. And it just, that's, I think the biggest reason why it took over, you know, and I, why I redirected the course at a young age that I was on for my life being set up for, you know, the, the American dream, you know, having my own business and eventually having a house and family and all that stuff. And I just was like, man, like I want to go do this. It was a subconscious vehicle to get me away from, you know, where I grew up and to go explore new, new terrain, but also go after something I dreamed about. And I had the support of my mom and my father to do so. And um, I knew that was a rare thing and I didn't, I didn't want that the opportunity to escape. Awesome. Love that. Thanks for sharing it. And I, you know, it's funny how passion like works and how it finds people at different times. Uh, but as you were saying that story, sharing that story, I was, I was able to relate with you because when I was young, I found my passion for beatboxing and uh, that took flight more so around nine years old when my parents split up and beatboxing became like my coping mechanism and <laughs> like the thing that I went to in those hard times, which I think is, is really cool to kind of note for people maybe who are struggling to find their passion too. Like just what is it that you go to for your escape, you know? 
Yeah, for sure. It's a it's a really really cool thing just how passion works. And getting back into the BMX kind of kind of deal, I think most people would say that what you do is scary. <laughs> and I and I'm wondering what your thoughts are, you know, in regard to that and like what goes through your mind when you're about to go on this big jump or do like a really difficult trick. Like, are you ever, you know, fearful of it? Um, and if not, like, what is it do you think that separates you from so like so many of the other people in the world, like myself, who would like never do that and think that that's crazy? <laughs> yeah, I mean, people will say anything they're unfamiliar with or inexperienced with is scary, even if it's not something, you know, that high risk of injury. I mean, just, I mean, people say the fact that I left BMX as a career to pursue other passions of mine now that I live today would be scary. You know, how many people are locked into a job that they're scared to leave, but they hate, you know? So I think, mm -hmm. I think fear is, is a choice and mindset and perspective, but also I think the thing that stands out that, you know, differentiates people um, at an elite level in sport or business or music or education or creativity, whatever it may be is a relationship with fear and a conditioning mindset that they've worked on to understand fear is just it's just a factor of life it's inevitable but it's a it's an inevitable player in your life but you choose how much playing time fear gets and i think that's what separates an amateur um, athlete from a professional athlete is the ability to handle those times that fear may come in because i learned at an early age um, physically and mentally, the consequences of not being focused on what I was trying to do, specifically on my bike. And if I had a trick in mind and I was afraid of that trick and I was focused on why I was afraid, the outcomes I didn't want to happen, I wasn't focused on the process and the process of making that trick manifest into a reality I wanted, landing the trick. And so I learned very early on how much it hurts to hit the ground when you're not focused on what you're doing mm -hmm. and you're focused on what you're not doing. And I've applied that to other areas of my life. I mean, it was the same thing when I first got diagnosed with a brain tumor. I was 21 years old and it came out of left field. And I remember sitting on the bed uh, before the surgery, you know, and it was just focused on like what life will be like when I wake up, not what if I don't wake up, but what's life going to be like when I wake up? and not focus on the outcome I didn't want. And so I think that's the, uh, the different perspective that those that do things that others strive to do, which we're all capable of doing. I mean, I'm, I'm no different than the next person down the road other than some choices I've made. And that's uh, a big choice is what we choose to put in our minds every day. And that comes from so many variables. I mean, the content we consume, the thoughts that we give energy to, the thoughts we tell us, the stories we tell ourselves, the books that we read, you know, the people we associate ourselves with, I mean, those are all choices that influence our mindset. And I think that that's all fear is, is a choice of mindset. Absolutely love that. And I'm glad you brought up um, your experience with the with the brain tumors as well. That's what, exactly where I was headed next. Um, you have a really remarkable story with that. And I was wondering if you could just share that briefly with us, kind of um, that whole story and like how and when you found out and what you've done to kind of navigate that. Yeah, so it was March 2010. I was training in the off season. We had the next competition a month away just to kick off the the season. And uh, I learned this new variation of a trick inside the foam pit, which for those that don't know, it's, you know, gymnastics have these pits of foam blocks that they learn tricks into. Um, we have a takeoff ramp and then a long rectangle box filled with foam blocks to practice tricks. And I had been practicing a variation. I had done it 10 times in a row and it felt really confident. And I went to the real ramp to try it. And I over-rotated the spin and the flip. And it was involving flipping and spinning at the same time as well as spinning your bike around. Um, but that's a little confusing. But uh, I, regardless, I, I over-rotated and got, um, you know, launched off my bike to my side and got a you know, whiplash and hit my head. I had a helmet on, but still, you know, got knocked out and had to get an MRI to look at um, traumatic brain injury of any kind of swelling or bleeding or anything like that, you know, just to make sure I, you know, was taking the uh, necessary recovery, you know, steps. And a little backstory, that was March 2010. All of 2009, I had been dealing with these on and off headaches and migraines and um, vision problems and vomiting from the combination, you know, it'd be any random given day. 
And I'd gone in about five or six times over the year to the same office. That, uh, I didn't have a primary, so I went to the same urgent care office down the road. And one of those times, I actually went to the ER. But I remember every time going in there, explaining all these symptoms and just like, I don't know, I just randomly, you know, feeling like garbage and I don't, I didn't do anything. You know, at the time I hadn't hit my head or anything like that. And I would say like, you know, like, could we like a x-ray, a CAT scan or, you know, MRI, like something to look at my, my skull and at my brain because I feel like there's something wrong. And every time they would just judge me by my cover, they'd say, oh, well, like you're young, professional athlete. You know, I was 20 to 21, depending on the time of year in 2009. And, um, you know, they're like, no, I mean, you're healthy, you're in shape, you know, the blood work, you know, doesn't show anything abnormal. Like you don't need a scan, you just have headaches. It's, you know, in America, it's pretty prevalent and it's quite normal. And they would give me a different pain pill prescription every time and send me on my way and tell me to come back if I need more. And so now fast forwarding to March of uh, 2010, I had fallen, hit my head and had to get an MRI now. I didn't even ask for one. Like it was, you know, necessary. It was like deemed necessary and um i remember driving there to get the report after the mri because this is one of those good days you know i could operate mm -hmm. and which a lot of days i was kind of operating off muscle memory just because i was like not willing to let my circumstances define my reality and i was like i'm just gonna push past it and this will be my new norm whatever um but this was one of those good days you know i could see well i wasn't in that much pain um, a little bit of pain from the crash, of course, but nothing I hadn't experienced before. And I'm thinking on the way there, you know, like, I wonder what they're going to say. It's not even like two days since I've ridden. At uh, that time, that was forever to me. Um, and I was like, man, like, worst case scenario, they say I got another week or two off the bike, typical, you know, concussion protocol. All right, whatever. And mind you, I'm 21 years old this time and living with some roommates, all BMX riders. And my parents are up in Massachusetts. Uh, I'm in North Carolina. And I'm sitting there by myself. You know, I drove myself there by myself, just you know, routine follow-up from a concussion report. And I'm sitting there, and the doctor walks in, and he explains, like, hey, like, you know, we got the concussion report back, you know, the MRI, you know, no swelling, no bleeding, so that's good. And I remember standing up, being like, all right, cool, thanks. So, like, when can I ride again? You know, it's all I was focused on. When can I ride? Yeah. And he's like, well, no, it's a little bit more serious than that. There was, um, you know, a misreading or there was something abnormal that showed up on your MRI report. And I remember just being like, all right, well, what do you mean? Like, did I do it again? Did I move? Because, I mean, if you move in them, it could throw off the, the image. He said, no, there's something in your brain that shouldn't be there. And, like, literally, that's what he first said. I remember laughing out loud, like, what do you mean there's something in my brain that shouldn't be there? I didn't put anything in there. Like, can't possibly put something. Like, what do you mean? And just didn't think anything of it. Just really kind of, like, confused in a comical way. And he said, well... At this time, we don't know if it's benign or cancerous, but we do know that if you want a shot at preserving your life, you're going to have to have surgery immediately. And there's still a chance you may die and you'll probably never ride your bike again. And so that all I heard was cancer, never going to ride your bike again, you may die. And everything just started to shut down. And that was the moment I was told at 21 years old that I had a massive brain tumor. If you see my MRI picture I post up on my Instagram every now and then, you'll see how big it was. And I was just like, yeah, I just was in so much emotion and shock and disbelief and anger and victim mentality and like just all these things. I just felt numb and broken. But that was the, the first, um, first time I was told I had a brain tumor. Dang, that's... That's crazy. It's a wild experience to to have that uh, happen to you. So, so what has the the path been since finding that information, and then to where you are now? Yeah. So the transition from diagnosis to surgery was about a week and a half, and my doctor uh, or my surgeon at Duke University, Dr. Alan Friedman, he actually moved his schedule, his patients around to get me in sooner because it was so severe. Mm -hmm. Um. But then it was like uh, you had to wait four weeks for the skull to fuse back together, which I was blown away by. I didn't know it was that quick. And then we gave it another week after we got another MRI to check on. You know, and now I have four titanium screws in my skull. But um, we, we you know, four week mark, an MRI, everything checked out. You know, recovered well. Took another week off, and then five week mark started riding again. And then another two months later, I believe it was. Um, so April. Maybe. Yeah, two months after that. So a total of 13 to 14 weeks after brain surgery, I was back in England competing, um, wow. which was really phenomenal. And I got like top 10. After, I think I was like eighth place or something. But um, yeah, from then, it just progressed back to normal life, you know, traveling the world, competing, filming videos, 
uh, shooting photos, you know, just doing my thing. And then uh, routine MRI in September 2012 revealed a regrowth in two different areas. Or actually, I think it was November because I had, um, yeah, and that led into gamma knife radio surgery in November 2012 to basically zap the two tumors. And they've shrunk, they shrunk slightly for four years and been stable ever since. So that's amazing. Um, but that's what really sparked me on this holistic health, like health is internal, um, you know, journey of really learning that I could have caused the expression of certain genes to create the brain tumors and fueled it even more so moving forward. On the flip side, I also had the ability to suppress those genes from expressing themselves. Um, and so that's what got me interested in holistic nutrition and mindset and exercise and then that led into the ketogenic space specifically and really learning the power of a state of ketosis beyond just, you know, removing body fat from the body. That, that if you do ketosis, like if you follow a ketogenic lifestyle and diet correctly, like body composition is, is easy, actually. It's a byproduct of prioritizing the brain. Prioritize the brain, everything else is a ripple effect. It's so like that really got me moving on that um, and adopting a lot of these principles and practices within that lifestyle. But then February of 2017, another routine annual MRI showed the tumors that we, we zapped with gamma knife and that were stable or they shrunk for a bunch of years, they're stable. But now there's two new ones, not even regrowths, but new tumors that grew in the opposite side of my brain on the right side. So I have four of them. And I still do today. But I took everything I was learning about epigenetics, so the expression of genes and inflammation and antioxidants, like all these things pertaining to ketosis. And I went all in and I, I bought a blood meter. I started testing my blood. I started really getting dialed in on my macronutrient composition and adding in certain things, taking certain things out that are all technically keto at the end of the day, but some things are true keto and some things aren't. And I just really went all in, started educating myself even more. You know, I left competition that year to fulfill this purpose of serving people and sharing um, my story and these different you know, takeaways I've learned along the way. And became friends with some of the leading researchers and doctors in this field who I'm, you know, great friends with today. And I've learned a lot from. Um, but ultimately, that choice to empower myself is the reason why we haven't medicated myself. We haven't done any surgery or any other treatments on these two new tumors. And this will be three years now, no progression, just a change in lifestyle, a lot of change to diet, but a lot of change to mindset and the way I exercise as well. Um, and up until about a month ago, I still ride at the same level. I just don't compete, but I've actually decided to take some time away from BMX to focus more on my new path with speaking and my business and finishing up my book actually and things like that. So it was these, these three wake-up calls, I say, that led me onto my true purpose off self and on purpose. And uh, that's where I am today is I'm still learning, you know, the, the clarity around that purpose and distilling it, but ultimately just moving forward more and more towards it. Awesome. Love that. And you know, one thing I love about you too, man, is you're a go-getter. That's, that's clear. I feel like, you know, rather than being defeated by this adversity, you're just out there killing it, man. <laughs> you're changing lives. Uh, not only did you pull through, you know, your own situation and continue to pull through that, but you're out there speaking, coaching, inspiring, changing lives, uh, I commend you for that. Seriously. Well, I, I appreciate that, man. And I mean, that's everything I've dedicated my life to. And um, something I talk about on stage and pretty much any social media post you see from me, it's like, you know, we have two choices at the end of the day when, um, you know, hardship or obstacles or adversity hits. And it's like, you can be the victim and play small, or you can be the survivor. And I've actually learned to change my language from survivor to creator. You know, we can be the victim of our experiences and our, our realities determined by our external experiences, or we can be the creator of our life. And we can choose to take the events and the experiences externally, but also we can change our internal environment any day just with, with thought alone. And so we can become a creator of our life. And that's what I decided to do. I was like, you know, I did that at a young age. I created this reality that not many people besides my parents uh, and my brother believed in me. You know, I had a lot of doubt from teachers and coworkers and, you know, strangers, whatever. Um, but I was able to create a reality based on my inner world. And so too often do I see people limiting their potential to achieve their dreams based on the influences in the outside world. 
And it just, it's sad. And I don't, I, I never want to be one of those people. And I want to actually lift those people out of that space to be the creator of their life because we all are born with that choice and perspective. And ultimately, that choice and perspective is going to influence the choices you make in your day to day that's going to determine the reality you live in. So there's a quote I love and it's your personality creates your personal reality. And so your personality is made of your thoughts, your emotions, and your actions. And that creates your personal reality you live every day. And so if you're not aware of your past, present personality that you're living every day, then how can you, you expect to change moving forward to create a new reality? And so I had a drastic wake-up call to audit who I was and ultimately decide who I wanted to become. And that's everything I've done. And part of that, a big part of that is inspiring that perspective in other people to be able to do the quote-unquote impossible in their lives. Um, because I believe everyone can do whatever they believe they possibly can. It's just a matter of choosing to, you know, void all the outside influences. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad you brought all that up too. It's, it's golden advice. You know, one of the questions I was going to ask was just like, what do you do in those trying moments when you're frustrated, discouraged, lacking motivation? And you just answered that with, you know, you can choose to play victim or you can be the creator of your future and of everything that you're about and everything you're going to do, which I think is awesome. And to your point too, with, with the wake up call, like it, it's, it really is a service what you're doing. Uh, and what so many other people are out there doing with, you know, speaking and sharing their stories and podcasts, podcasts are one of my favorite, you know, mediums and vehicles ever, because it's so much more raw and vulnerable. And you hear these, these, you know, unfiltered, unedited stories but but it really is a service to others because maybe you prevent them from having that wake up call. You know, they can change their lives today without having to go through something so traumatic. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, everyone's got, you know, things they're going to go through that they don't necessarily want to experience. But Russ said this quote I heard the other day, I'm a big uh, fan of Russ. He's a hip hop artist for those that don't know, but he said this thing like life only makes sense when you look back and it's so interesting because when you're moving forward, sometimes things don't make sense and you're wondering why is this happening to me? And for me, I questioned if I was even a good person or why did I deserve what I was going through? But now looking back, it makes so much sense. And I've been um, you know, getting better about adopting that perspective in every day. So when something frustrates me or you know, an obstacle presents itself or whatever it may be that's maybe undesirable in the moment, I, I try to think, what can I learn from this? Like, why am I creating this in my reality to learn what I'm going you know, to move forward with? And I think that that's something really valuable. If we can have that perspective, anyone's life, they can, they can use that. And it's, you know, you know, that quote, life doesn't happen to me, life happens for me. And so that's a choice of perspective, though. We all have that choice, which is a matter of believing it or not. Um, and it's not easy in the moment. I mean, I've been in uh, mental and physical pain beyond majority of people ever experience um, from doing something I love and continue to do. And I've, I've had to stop and think about that. And that's what's easy for me to see moving forward in a non-competitive um, athletic way into the things I'm doing in my life today. It's like no amount of fear is going to stop me from what I'm doing because everything I'm doing today, none of it is going to come with the physical pain or the risk of that physical pain I endured with BMX. And so that's something I love to talk about is fears is a choice and perspective. But when you're in those times of hardship and just focusing on that future vision, why you're going through what you're going through and what you can learn along the way and why ultimately you're trying to do whatever you're doing in your future life. I mean, that that's what gets me out of bed every day, even when I, days I don't want to get out of bed or why I do things I'm uncomfortable with or why I move through stress. It's like there's always a breakthrough when times get rough. And so it's just a choice of perspective. It's not easy. It's that simple, but it's very complex. And we can thank our brains and our, our stored memories for that. But um, ultimately, just making that decision is, uh, is huge. And something that's helped me as I call them virtual mentors, you know, uh, finding people that you deem successful for whatever reason or reverse engineering their path. And whether you communicate with them, you watch from afar with all these different social media and media platforms. Having an influence like that 
and indulging yourself in that. That's what helped me a lot. And I've been able to become friends and um, even acquaintances with a lot of my virtual mentors. Um, but that's something that helped me a lot. And so it just goes back to that perspective. And like, you know, if you can ask yourself a couple questions, like, what am I creating this event for? Um, how is this going to serve me later? And, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing? If you're not clear on why you're doing what you're doing, then obviously it's going to be easy to give up when times get tough. But when you're clear on that vision you're focused on, you're defined by that vision, then it just gets easier and easier to move past uh, uncomfortable experiences. Phenomenal advice. Uh, thank you for sharing that. And I did want to make sure we talk about this too, but uh, I don't know anything about keto. <laughs> Uh, and actually, that's how I heard of you was uh, because people have talked about it, you know, in my circle. And I started to look up uh, things about keto and bam, there you were. So proud to awesome. uh, proud to share with you that you are popping up when people are looking up keto stuff. That's <laughs> oh, amazing. Um, but two things, you know, for me and for others who aren't familiar with it, could you, I guess, just briefly teach us what keto is? Uh, and then two, just share, I guess, how that's helped you more with, with your, with managing the brain tumors as well. Yeah. So simply put, um, keto is short for anything pertaining to the state of ketosis, right? Ketosis, you can reach in many different ways. It's a metabolic state of producing ketones in your bloodstream. It's that simple. That's what keto and ketosis is. Um, the process of getting there, it's very complex because there's so many different ways that one could reach that state. Um, but really what it's doing, it's shifting your metabolism from relying on carbohydrates and sugar primarily to fat and ketones. And ketones are the byproduct of burning fat in your liver. Um, that's, that's the simplest way I can, I can put that. Um, now, in terms of benefit, I mean, we see people with PCOS to cancer, to epilepsy, to TBI, to body composition, um, ADHD, anxiety, depression, you know, chronic fatigue, uh, inflammation, like all these different things. Um, but really, the reason why there's so much beauty to this lifestyle is because it's targeting on a cellular level the mitochondria. For those that don't know, quick little crash course, the mitochondria, the organelles in your cells that use oxygen and food to produce ATP, which is our body's natural currency of energy. Um, so yeah, simply put, keto is short for anything pertaining to ketosis, which is a metabolic state of producing ketones in the blood, which comes from shifting your metabolism away from sugar predominantly to fat and ketones for fuel. Awesome. Good job uh, summarizing that. I mean, I'm sure you're you're well familiar with it, so that's probably super easy for that you. Was, that was super difficult for me not to go into more complex things that I love <laughs> talking about, but that was the most simplistic way I could put it. And um, I could put, though, too, specifically for TBI, why it's so important is we know now when you hit your head, whether you get knocked out or not, glucose uptake in the brain diminishes but these pathways to soak up ketones for fuel increase. The problem is majority of society, because we eat starches and sugars and grains and alcohols and candy and sugar and all that, don't have ketones in our system. And we know now when you hit your head, glucose uptake goes down, the pathways to uptake ketones goes up. But if they're not present, your brain is literally starving. And in severe cases, that's where we see down the road CTE. That's where we see plaque buildup from, you know, the mitochondria and the cells dying and all these other, you know, mechanisms leading to Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, all these things. So for someone like myself with a history of TBIs, just take that one aspect of my life. That's, that's why I follow this lifestyle. The beauty of being in 2020, we have so many brands and products on the market that make this lifestyle uh, sustainable and easy compared to what mainstream media makes it out to be. And we have exogenous ketones that we can put into water. They taste great. You can shake them up and you drink them. And so there's a lot of benefit from there. And so I follow a lifestyle where I eat, you know, a high fat, low carbohydrate diet. Um, tastes great. It's not restrictive. Um, the main thing is you just avoid processed junk food and sugars and alcohol uh, majority of the time. Uh, but then I also supplement with the exogenous ketones, which aren't even really a supplement. They're like a fourth macronutrient because they provide energy to the brain and the muscles. So um, yeah, it's just on a TBI standpoint, it's really uh, profound in that way. And then everywhere else, I mean, you're just looking at the mitochondria support, um, which there's a lot of data showing now that a lot of disease we deal with on a daily basis is a metabolic dysfunction um, and disorder. And it's looking at damaged mitochondria. And the cool thing about ketones is they bypass part of this dysfunction in the pathway 
that the cell can't use glucose or fuel anymore, but ketones can. So it's just, it's really a brilliant uh, way to help a lot of things. And um, yeah, it's just, that's just one part of why I do all I do is to share this lifestyle that I was kind of like forced into. And a lot of mainstream media makes it out to be just this fad weight loss diet, which when you really get into it and you start looking at a lot of the research and data and science and like, it's, it's, it's beyond that. Weight loss is just scratching the surface. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I was just going to say that I was talking to someone yesterday, le- legitimately, who um, was just like, oh, it's a fad. Oh, it's not even true. Oh, people are just doing that to make money kind of a thing. And being someone who, you know, is not super knowledgeable in it, I'm just like, oh, yeah, like it's kind of a fad. But then when, when, <laughs> when I talk to you and you're bringing, you know, all these facts to the table and all these amazing things about it, like it's clearly not just a fad. So I'm glad that you're addressing that. I mean, just address the money aspect. Like I have no products to sell, but I still share passionately about this lifestyle. And then to say, oh, keto is a fad. People are just trying to make money off of it. Do you know how big of an industry the sugar industry is? Like we have corn subsidized in this country. Corn is used to make processed high fructose corn syrup at a cheap rate to fuel all those cheap ass products that people indulge in every day and that make billions of dollars. And then the aftermath of medical care. So like, just, just that one, no science involved, just simple math. Like I'm here trying to sell nothing but a perspective shift. And then you get the sugar industry and like people don't think about that. Like how many products do you think that, you know, you're buying that fuel the sugar industry, <laughs> pretty much everything at the, on the market. Um, so it's just really interesting, but I find too, it's just a lot of, a lot of fear mentality with people that maybe are afraid for, you know, what I, I had a lot of pushback. Not so much because I was forced into it just because of what I learned at the time really like correlated well with what I was experiencing with brain tumors. And I was like, oh, this helps brain tumors and cancer and TBI. Like, oh, let me look into it more. But a lot of people, A, don't look into um, the science and anything beyond a headline or a quick article that so-and-so that no one really knows yeah. wrote or maybe they're a celebrity but have no education in this field. Exactly. Or, or B, they're, they're challenged with what they were taught. So like the ego steps in, that whole emotional roller coaster comes in. So like defense mode automatically. And like you're already lost trying to talk to that person. That's where I've learned to kind of shift my communication to really make it more of an open conversation. But then also you have the mentality of, oh, well, if this is true, why wouldn't we be taught it? Doesn't our government love us and want to take care of us? And it's like... Um, if you look at America, we live in a capitalistic world. Uh, a lot of money comes from these products. They have a lot of power because of that. So it makes sense where we are today. Um, we're seeing that it shift, but it's taken a lot of people stepping way out of the comfort zone to share a lot of these things, taking a lot of backlash, investing a lot of money. Um, but you're starting to see it become more and more prevalent of it not being a fad. In fact, it's, it's being looked at as like an optimal way in today's world to fuel your brain because there's so much damage we've, we've uh, created with just our, you know, our lifestyle as Americans in 2020. Um, so yeah, when people say it's a fad, I usually just ask them, all right, why? <laughs> what, can you tell me anything about it? And usually they don't. They don't, they don't know much more than what they've read, which if you go off headlines, Harvard said coconut oil is going to kill you. Um, how was that found? Well, they did a poor study with a high carbohydrate diet and a high fat diet. Um, so it's just things like that. It's like understanding how these so-and-so or how these so-called studies prove this. And it's just a, it's a huge mess, but um, I'm trying to do my best to work with, you know, these doctors and researchers and scientists and distill it down into, you know, practical application and sharing these conversations, which, I mean, I can get way more in depth, but um, I find obviously people get lost. So I just... Yeah. When someone says it's a fad, it's just like, I no longer go on offense mode or defense mode. I just kind of just like neutral. I'm like, all right, let's, let's talk about it. Why is that? What do you, what do you know about it? What have you heard? <laughs> Things like that. Yeah, definitely. Well, and just off what you said too, um, you know, I'm sure it, it helps with um, people's plans to do intermittent fast, fasting or, you know, trying to optimize sleep. Uh, it just seems like it's much more healthy uh, not only just for like losing weight and stuff, but also just for like brain health and like controlling your mind better. Exactly. I mean, if if keto was a fad, your liver wouldn't make ketones. There you go. Like <laughs> your liver makes ketones without products bought. 
actually, you don't even have to buy groceries. Just fast for a day. Your liver will stop making ketones. I mean, I don't know what's more free on this earth than your body producing its own fuel source. But um, yeah, but people don't know that. People, people think keto is just who you are, what you do, or what you ate, or what product you bought. It's actually a metabolic state that your body naturally does. And then, I mean, not to get into a tangent, but then the other argument is, it was like, oh, your brain needs sugar. And your body can actually make its own sugar from lactic acid, from the backbone of a triglyceride, glycerol, and from certain amino acids when it needs. There you go. That's all done free in the body. You don't even know your subconscious does that. Just like your subconscious pumps your heart. <laughs> it's, it's all there. It's fascinating. Well, so for, for someone like me uh, and also my mom, by the way, I should share this with you, but I'm pretty sure my mom went to, to see you speak before uh, in Boise and she was really moved by by who you are and the stories that you've shared and stuff. And so when she found out that I was interviewing you, she was like over the moon excited. Um, That's amazing. And she follows you on Facebook and stuff too. So she she's interested in the keto keto lifestyle as well, and she's been someone who's been sharing it more with me too. But for someone like my mom and I, and for anyone listening uh, who just want to get into that, what are some like immediate first steps and maybe some like road roadblocks to look out for too? So I would first start. I have to lead with education. I would say buy and read the books. Two books: Grain Brain by Dr. David Promutter, who is amazing. Um, and the ketogenic Bible by Dr. Ryan Lowry and Dr. Jacob Wilson. Um, I've, those are my virtual mentors I become friends with and it's amazing, but those books, they have unlimited citations for studies and research backing all these different things they talk about, but those are going to be amazing resources to learn about carbohydrates and blood sugar, cholesterol, statins, um, fat, salt, and how to apply these things. Now, first steps, I would recommend anyone to do and what I work with my clients on is just eliminating the processed foods the best you can and specifically anything with added sugars um, that's not a whole food that means juice juice is nothing but sugar water which people really don't understand I didn't until I started learning about it but um, you're just getting rid of all the processed foods and added sugars and alcohol and then I would recommend moving into, now let's start looking at the fruit intake and things like that. But um, along the way, one of the biggest reasons why people, well, I should also say starches and you know pastas and breads, um, pretty much any sugar or starch, that's uh, a great place to start and refill that. Now, with fat, that's where I'm going to go with this. Two of the main reasons I see people um, say anything negative about their experience with a ketogenic diet and lifestyle is electrolytes, number one. So quickly put, when you stop consuming a large amount of carbohydrates to where your glucose levels are rising, your insulin levels are rising, um, when you stop doing that, you're going to reduce your glucose levels chronically. They're going to come stabilized, you know, around 80 to 100 milligrams per deciliter, whatever your body naturally sits at. Insulin's going to also lower with that. Now, when insulin lowers, your body starts excreting water. Now, with water comes electrolytes. And so when people go on a ketogenic diet, this process happens initially. And this is where you see the, oh, I lost 10 pounds in a week or 20 pounds in a week. A lot of it's water and inflammation. It's not necessarily all fat. Um, but the biggest problem with that, the number one tip I would say to do after limiting the starches and the sugars and the alcohol and the grains is adding in electrolytes, meaning salt, um, sodium, magnesium and calcium. But if you eat a well-balanced uh, or well-formulated ketogenic diet, things like avocados, different nuts and vegetables and all the, you'll get those um, to a degree like cheese, but sodium, salt, people after they get past the barrier of fat is bad and start incorporating more fat, get rid of, get rid of the starch and sugar, they forget or they don't know electrolytes are super important. They're electrical signaling molecules in our body. And when insulin levels drop, water drops, with that comes a lot of electrolytes. And the keto flu is really just an imbalance of electrolytes. So when people uh, you know, supplement correctly with salt on their food, electrolyte packs. Like um, I use uh, Elemental Labs, drink LMNT. It's a, a gram of sodium in it and they make flavored ones. I start my day with that and it kickstarts me. I've had clients where they're like, I have this miserable headache and this brain fog. I might go take um, a half a teaspoon to a full teaspoon of salt or go get an Elemental Lab and just pound it real quick. And then all of a sudden they're better. <laughs> it's just because we need these electrolytes and we're, we're taught that salt is bad. 
um, fat is bad. But really what it is, it's salt and or fat mixed in with a huge increase in carbohydrates and glucose levels compared to what our body's natural state is. Um, so that was a lot. So basically cut out the starches, the sugars, the alcohol, and like the Pop-Tarts and the breads and the pastas and replace them with fat. That was the second tip. Replace them with fat, but also make sure you're salting your food. You're getting electrolytes in. You're not afraid of the fat. Um, and I forget what the quote is, but it's something like, don't, don't blame um, fat or salt for what the sugar did. You know, So it's like a lot of the research that people love to cite, it's like they looked at a high carb diet and a high fat diet. That's going to be terrible. You know, High sugar, high carb with anything is going to be terrible. Um, we've been, we've been proving that over and over. So yeah, the first steps, man, just like eat real food, just start there, eat like a paleo, I say paleo ish way of life, just like real food. I would just argue, you don't probably need pineapples and bananas and all these exotic fruits every day or at all. Um, but really just eat whole food, start there, drink more water, less sugar from soda and juice and alcohol. Um, and then cut out the starches and sugars along the way, make sure you're adding in electrolytes and you're adding the fats in. That was the second point. Like a lot of people cut all that out. All right, great. I did it. I'm full on keto, but I'm, uh, you know, like I'm still hungry and um, tired. It's like, well, you got to get electrolytes up, but also you just took out a large amount of energy in your diet. You got to replace it with fat and it takes some time to adapt. So I'm I already catching myself going on a tangent, but um, yeah, start <laughs> there. Real, real food and don't fear salt. Add it in. Otherwise your brain is going to suffer um and you're gonna get that keto flu <laughs> no seriously thank you i appreciate um you know you sh for sharing that um not only you know first immediate tips and steps but um also teaching like along the way because i feel i think that's where i mean you led with education but i think that's where a lot of a lot of people struggle with these things is they get the first steps, uh, but they don't get any of the knowledge. So I appreciate you kind of teaching us as you're, as you're advising us. So that's, that's awesome. Thank, thank you for that. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I, I love it. So, <laughs> um, and then, so online, do you have any resources that you'd recommend for, for people to learn more online too? Yeah, so there's a couple websites. I mean, um, ketogenic.com will probably be a one-stop shop for the majority. CharlieFoundation.org, they were founded, um, they actually made a movie called Do No Harm with Meryl Streep about their son, Charlie, who's alive and well today. I just saw him the other week at an event. Um, but they use keto to treat his uh, drug-resistant epileptic seizures. And um, it was so profound with how hard they had to fight for that and to find it. Um, they made a movie about it and they've been helping people for a good while now. But there's a lot of basic information on there as well as resources to find hospitals and doctors and meal plans and all that stuff there. For those that want to get like geek out in the science and like find articles and studies and published papers and research that's all coming out, Dr. Dom Diagostino's website, ketonutrition.org is an amazing, amazing website for all those things in his newsletter. Um, his event um, with Dr. Angela Poff that Victoria Field puts on every year, they're changing location. It was just in Long Beach at the end of January. It's called the Metabolic Health Summit. All the leading doctors and scientists and researchers and then um, thought leaders like myself and people with you know incredible stories, they all go there um, to share you know, the latest research, how keto's impacted them and all these amazing things and brands and vendors. So yeah, I think ketodrink.com, charliefoundation.org, uh, ketonutrition.org, metabolichealthsummit.com. Those are going to be great resources. And then um, for the podcast listeners, uh, Dr. Ryan Lowry's got a podcast called What the Fat. Um, that's a great one. I haven't been listening to too many podcasts lately. So I can't think of off the top of my head any other ones that I can think of right now. But um, yeah, those are going to be great resources, especially with Grain Brain, the book, and the Ketogenic Bible, the book. Um, yeah, beyond that, I mean, you can just probably find all those people's YouTube channels, their courses for education, their Instagrams, and um, they all share a ton of information. Awesome. Thank you for that. I'll definitely check those out and would encourage others to as well. Um, to kind of wrap things up, I just have kind of a general like few questions I, I ask towards the end of every episode with guests. Do you mind if we just run through those real quick? Yeah, for sure. Uh, if you could go back and say something to your five-year-old self, what would you say? 
for my five-year-old self. Dang, I've been asked that. Um, just keep going. <laughs> just, just keep doing what you're doing. You know, you're only five. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. What is your favorite word? Favorite word? Probably dialed, which you need to give some context what that means. So New Land Trick, well, not sketchy. It's dialed. That's the opposite. And I've got a lot of the, uh, the keto community, especially the doctors using that word. Like, yeah, that's dialed. It's not mint. It's not perfect. It's dialed. <laughs> it's probably my favorite word. Awesome. And then what uh, is your favorite TV show or do you have one? Oh, it's so hard. Um, my favorite that no longer runs was Dexter. For those that are younger, probably not going to want to watch that. But um, <laughs> that was probably that and Friends. I mean, classic. Right now, I've been on a kick with um, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, The Office. My girlfriend's been pushing that show on to me hard, and I'm starting to enjoy it more than I was. Uh, we're always finding new shows. There was an Apple TV special, The Morning Show. That was pretty cool. Jennifer Aniston and Steve Carell. Oh, wow. But yeah, I, still, I think the Oh, really? Yeah, it was an Apple TV exclusive. So um, I think they're starting to try and challenge Netflix and all that, like everyone is. But um, yeah, I think Dexter and Friends are always going to be a classic favorite. Um, one, oh, episodes with uh, Matt LeBlanc, Joey from Friends. That, that's a pretty funny show we've been watching. That was the one we just started recently watching. Awesome. What is your favorite social media platform and where can people find you and connect with you? I mean, I'm on all the platforms. It's, it's uh, on all of them. It's at Josh Perry BMX. Um, but as far as my favorite, I don't know, probably Instagram or YouTube. I love watching like interviews and um, educational videos on YouTube and then just catching up with my friends uh, and stuff like that on Instagram. But I'm most active, I'd say, on Instagram as far as like posting and comments, like responding to people and DMs. Um, I try to respond to everyone on every platform, but I post more regularly on Instagram and keep up with the DMs from people and try to give as much value as I can. Yeah. Well, and I can, uh, you know, testify to that because that's how you and I connected. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> you, you responded to my DM and that's, that's how it happened. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> uh, well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you, Josh, for uh, taking time out of your, your day and your busy life to uh, uh, join me on my podcast, Upbeat. Yeah. Thanks so much, Parker. Again, I, I appreciate the connection. appreciate the time and uh, anything I can do to help move forward, just let me know. And yeah, again, thanks so much. Thank you. This is Upbeat with beatboxer, musician, speaker, and show host, Parker Kerr. Subscribe at parkerk.co.